If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up to the minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. What's up, guys? After nearly two weeks away, welcome back to the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and if you listen to the shows we posted before I left for vacation a couple weeks ago, you already know this, but for those of you who might not have had a chance to listen to those episodes yet, uh, real quickly, just want to make sure everyone knows, I spent the better part of the past two weeks on vacation in Hawaii, and since I was not able to take all of my podcasting equipment with me, we recorded and posted three shows before I left to kind of help hold everyone over while I was out of town, but I'm back, and Hawaii was incredible. It was awesome. Uh, we flew into Kauai. We started our trip from there. Uh, in Kauai, we did a bunch of hiking and just related outdoorsy type stuff. Hiked through the Wameya Canyon, hiked up to the top of Sleeping Giant, spent some time at Hanlei Bay, did all that fun stuff. Uh, then we flew over to Maui and spent our last five nights there doing a lot more relaxing than anything. We did do the road to Hana and the Haleakala uh, volcano deal and all that stuff in Maui as well, but did a lot more relaxing at the resort than we did in Kauai. But uh, really, just had a great time. It was awesome. Uh, but I do have to say, as great as it was, it's always great to get back home to the classic city. There's no doubt about that. I've been very fortunate. I've had a chance to travel all over the world and a lot of cool things. And uh, I, I, I really, I feel that way just about every single time. I'm always glad to get back home. Always have a great time on our trips, but. Always glad to get back home to Athens. And Georgia football, as you guys know, just like you guys out there, it's never really far from my mind at all. Uh, and as much fun as I had on this trip, I still found some time to work on this particular episode, which is the Notre Dame edition of our annual Summertime Scouting the Enemy series. My wife is an early riser, and so she goes to bed early, which uh, gave me a chance to kind of work on this show a little bit at night after she went to bed. I also try to use my time driving to and sitting at the airport working on it as well. My wife, she's the one that likes to drive, so let her handle that. And then that gives me a little bit of time to do some stuff for the podcast. So I was able to sneak in some uh, some time to work here and there and actually dove pretty deep on this one. I really tried to. Uh, so I know it's been a long wait for me to get back into town. And I, I really do, guys. I sincerely, sincerely appreciate your patience and continued support. And I hope this episode at least somewhat makes up for the time I had to spend away. I put a lot of time in for you guys and tried to make it as good as I possibly could. But obviously, obviously, just as I'm getting back into town, Curtis, of course, 
is heading out of town for a little vacation of his own. So I am going to be flying solo on today's show. Kurt's out of town right now. He left late last week. He's not going to be gone as long as I was. He's going to be getting back on Wednesday. So he will be back for the second show of this week. So we'll be looking forward to that. But for today, I have you guys covered on our Notre Dame edition of the Scouting the Enemy series. And really quickly here, before I start the Notre Dame preview, I do want to thank all of you guys who have subscribed to our premium content on Podbean. We've actually had a lot of new subscribers over the past couple of weeks, even while I was out of town, which is just incredibly humbling. And we are so appreciative of that. And I I really, guys, I cannot tell you how much that helps us keep this thing going and how grateful we are for the support. Your subscriptions help us cover production costs, We also really want to uh, invest in some new hardware and software for the show to make it an even better listening experience for all of you guys out there. And every new subscriber brings us closer to that. So thank you. Uh, Thank you again to our new subscribers. And obviously, of course, all of our longtime lower subscribers. You guys know who you are. We love you guys. We really do. Uh, And if you have not taken the plunge yet, but like what you hear on the free shows like this, you can subscribe today on Podbean for only $2 a month, which will give you access to all of our premium content. And we do, guys. We have a ton of awesome stuff. We have our entire summer planned out. Of course, we have some room for any, any kind of spur-of-the-moment type topic that comes up, That which really is usually inevitable. At some point, sometime in the summer, there's going to be some news item that just pops up out of nowhere. So we'll obviously cover that stuff. But we have the rest of the summer planned out um, as we inch closer and closer to the 2019 season. So we got a lot of good stuff for you guys. And, of course, you guys know uh, we'll have you covered with three shows a week once the season starts. If you... Uh, are a subscriber you get access to all those shows at least three shows a week once the season starts every single week during the season our premium content will include the recap show mailbag show game preview shows picks of the week all of that stuff you'll get access to if you are subscribed to our premium content on podbean if you're not uh, the only thing you'll be able to get access to for free are the game recap shows that we will post on soundcloud itunes all those free outlets each week. So go ahead and hop on board if you haven't done so already. Uh, All you have to do is go to Podbean, search for Glory UGA, and you can pull up our page that way, or you can go to our Twitter profile, which is at Glory underscore UGA, and then you click on the profile link there. That will take you to our Podbean homepage where you can just click on the little yellow Buy Now button where you will then fill in your info, submit it, and boom, you are good to go. Really, guys, I know I say this a lot, but it's true. I mean, the whole process takes about a, about a minute or two. Um, you don't have to create an account. It does all that for you. It's quick and easy. And then, again, you have access to every single show we produce, all the stuff we're going to have for you guys getting ready for the season, and, of course, all the coverage throughout the 2019 season. But enough of that. Let's talk some ball and preview our Week 4 opponent, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. This one has been a long time coming. Obviously, we all know there's a ton of hype around this game, with it being the first time Notre Dame will play between the hedges. Uh, and at least from a hype standpoint, like I think there's an argument that can be made. This is one of the biggest games in Sanford Stadium history. I don't know if I want to go as far as saying it's the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history, uh, but in terms of hype, I think you can make an argument it's, it's certainly way up there. Both teams are projected to be in the top 10 when the preseason rankings are revealed, and barring an upset in the first three weeks, which is always possible, but barring an upset, this should be a top 10 matchup 
in week four. The cheapest seat on StubHub right now is going for a cool $525 as of Sunday night, uh, June 16th. So go up or down from there. That's where it is right now. So clearly, like we all know this, this is a big game with potential playoff ramifications. Now, of course, it's not a conference game, so it doesn't affect the conference race. But we have, well, that's certainly a goal of ours. We have even bigger goals than that. So this is a big game. Certainly has potential playoff ramifications. We'll see how that goes as the season plays itself out. But... How good will this 2019 Notre Dame team be? Will they be good enough for this game to live up to the hype that we just talked about? That's what I'm going to try to explore today. And these preview shows, they're tricky, guys. They are. Because you kind of have your feet in two different seasons. Like First, you have to look at what the team was last year. Because that kind of gives you the baseline from which to operate. And I'm not talking about just saying, oh, yeah, Notre Dame, they were in the playoffs, so they must have been really good. Like, yeah, that's part of it, sure, but I'm talking about more than that, peeling back the layers, going to the tape, digging through the advanced stats. So you do all that, and then once you get that baseline from where they were last year, you then have to factor in, okay, uh, that's who they were last year, but who are they losing? Who's returning? How much do you expect certain guys to improve? Uh, you got to look at the new additions from the 2019 recruiting class. You look at the transfer market. Did they get anybody? All that kind of stuff. And then from there... You then make your most educated projection as to what they're going to be in the coming season. So let's start with that baseline by taking a look at the 2018 Notre Dame team. Now, even the most casual fans knows that Notre Dame was in the cultural playoff last season. We know they were the number three seed in the playoffs last year. Uh, but there was a lot of conversation about whether they really deserve that. Obviously, we got left out. We finished number five in those final rankings going into the playoffs. And while it ostensibly came down to us in Oklahoma for that number four slot, some out there were making the argument that the question really should have come down to us or Notre Dame. Yes, they finished 12-0 in the regular season uh, against a poor excuse for a schedule. You have to admit that. Um, yeah, they snuck by Michigan at home in week one, 24-17, but they didn't really play a team with much of a pulse until they got to Clemson in the college football playoff semifinals. So yeah, they made the college football playoff, but were they really that good? Did they really belong? Well, to try to answer that question, that's something I was curious about. Did they really belong there? So what I did is I dug into the advanced stats to try to answer that question. Here is what I came up with. So before I go through some of these numbers, I know these stats are a little bit different than what some of you might be more familiar with, like the total offense, scoring offense, all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to kind of just quickly here, uh, just kind of explain to you what each of these categories mean. So... The first one is offensive and defensive efficiency. And efficiency is pretty simple. Offensive efficiency is just the value that you generate per drive. And then defensive efficiency is your opponent's value that they generate per drive against you. The next one is available yards percentage. And this is of all the yards available to an offense based on their starting field position for each drive, how many of those yards did you gain? So if you start at your 25 and so you have 75 yards to go, how many of those yards did you gain on a drive-by-drive -drive basis? And really, basically, this is how well and how consistently did you move the football. That's available yard percentage offensively, and then defensively, it's going to be how well did opponents move the ball against you. Uh, then you got first down percentage, and this is uh, pretty simple here. First down percentage is the percentage of drives for your offense that result in at least one first down or a touchdown, then vice versa for defensive first down percentage. And then the final one here that we're going to go with today is touchdown rate. And guys, there are a lot more advanced stats than just these four, but I didn't want to overwhelm everybody throwing all these numbers at you. So I try to boil it down to the four that I think are most indicative of how good you are offensively and how good you are defensively. So these are the four that I really look at. And so this final one is touchdown rate. 
probably the easiest one to, to kind of wrap your head around here. This is just the percentage of drives that resulted in a touchdown for you offensively and then vice versa for defensive touchdown rates. So those are what those categories are. And so what I did is I took the top five teams going to the playoffs last year. I took the four teams that made the playoff, obviously Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Notre Dame. And then I threw us in there as well uh, since we are playing Notre Dame and kind of as a measuring stick uh, as to where we were last year compared to where Notre Dame was last year. So let's start with the offensive side of the ball. And I'm going to start with Clemson. So offensive efficiency, Clemson was the seventh most efficient offense in the country last year. Bama was number two in offensive efficiency. Oklahoma, probably not surprisingly, was number one in offensive efficiency. We were number four. And then where was Notre Dame? Well, they were number 23 in offensive efficiency last year. So not terrible. Top 25, really good. But, hmm, does that compare to the rest of the teams out there that were in contention for the college football playoff? I don't know. And I guess you could throw Ohio State in there as well. But I just want to try, again, don't want to overwhelm everybody. Four teams that made it and then throw us in there as well. Since this is a Georgia-centric podcast and we're talking about our matchup with Notre Dame upcoming here in the 2019 season. So next we've got available yards percentage. Clemson was 11th nationally in available yards percentage. Alabama, number two. Oklahoma, again, not surprisingly, number one. They were crazy good offensively. We were actually number three. It might surprise me out there that think that we weren't that good offensively last year. We were actually really good offensively. We were much better offensively than we were on the defense side of the football last year. So we were number three nationally. Uh, Then Notre Dame, again, really good, but not really at the same level offensively as the other contenders. They were 19th nationally in available yards percentage. You go over to first down percentage. Clemson was number 30. This is where Clemson kind of fell off a little bit in terms of uh, here in first down percentage. Uh, Oklahoma was number two. We were number four. They actually were eight nationally in first down percentage, which is, again, the percentage of drives that resulted in at least one first down or a touchdown. And then finally, offensively, they're looking at the touchdown rate, which is the percentage of drives that resulted in a touchdown for their for each offense. Clemson was number seven nationally last year in that category. Bama was number two. OU again, number one. So of these three, of these four categories, OU was number one and three of them offensively. We were number five. And so that means in those four major categories offensively, guys, we were in the top five in every single one of them. And then Notre Dame, again, same old story here, really good, but not quite the same level of the other four contenders for the playoff spots. They were number 25 nationally in touchdown rate. So offensively, if you look at it in totality, they're kind of what I was just saying. Like Notre Dame was clearly just not at the same level as the other four contenders for the college football playoff. They were very good offensively. I'm not trying to like say they were terrible. They were not. They were good. They were top 25 good. They were just not as good as us or the other three teams that got in the playoff. Uh, Bama and Oklahoma clearly were the two best offenses. It really wasn't that uh, wasn't too close. We were kind of actually we were right there. We were not too far behind Bama and Oklahoma, uh, but those were clearly the two best offenses in the country last year, at least statistically. Clemson was a little bit behind those teams, and then Notre Dame was a good bit behind everybody else that was in contention, really in contention for the Coshwell playoff there. Uh, so let's look over to the defense side of the ball for a second. Um, so same categories, just this time, defense efficiency, defensive available yard percentage, so on and so forth. So, uh, start at the top again there. So Clemson, uh, Clemson was so good defensively guys. At least I mean, we all saw that in, you know, when we watched them with the eye test, but if you look at, look at it statistically, they were, man, they were as good as Oklahoma was offensively last year. Clemson was that good defensively. So Clemson uh, was number one in defensive efficiency last season. Alabama was number 12. Uh, we were number 30. Oklahoma was 119. Whew, bad. Uh, and Notre Dame was 14th. Uh, so you look at it there. I mean, 
they were they were solid. I mean, they, they were right there. They weren't quite, obviously they weren't as good as Clemson. Nobody was really as good as Clemson was last year defensively. You look at it from a statistical standpoint. But they were right there, at least in terms of defense efficiency with Alabama. And they were actually about 15 or so spots better than us in defense efficiency than Oklahoma was just nowhere close. Uh, then you go over to available yards percentage. Again, available yards is uh, the, of all the yards available to an offense, when you're, when you're on defense, of all the yards available to the opposing offense based on their starting field position, how many of those yards did they gain against you? So in that category, Clemson, again, was number one nationally. Bama was number five. Uh, Notre Dame was number 20 nationally. We were number 37. And OU, hmm, number 113. Terrible. Uh, first down percentage. So this is a percentage of opposing offensive drives that uh, result in at least one first down or a touchdown. Clemson was number two. Bama was number one in this category. So the, the uh, script was flipped a little bit there for Clemson on just that one category, although just by a small small margin there. Uh, Notre Dame was 26th nationally in first down, defensive first down percentage. We were 37th again. Uh, and Oklahoma, yet again, in the 100s, they were 106th nationally in first down percentage. And in the final category here on the defensive side of the ball, touchdown rate. Clemson was number one nationally. Bama was number ten. This this one we were actually we were we were actually ahead of Notre Dame here. We were number four nationally in touchdown rate. So what that tells me is, yeah, we uh, is I don't want to say we were completely like a bend but not break defense, but offenses were able to move the ball on us uh, better than uh, some of the other teams outside of Oklahoma that were in the college football playoff. But we were able to kind of bow our neck and keep them out of the end zone. Uh, more often than not. So we were number four in touchdown rate. Notre Dame was right there. They were number seven nationally in touchdown rate. And then Oklahoma, again, just got awful. 115th nationally in touchdown rate. So Clemson, Alabama clearly had the two best defenses with Clemson, the unquestioned best statistical defense, number one in, in three of those four categories, number two in the fourth one. Oklahoma wasn't even the same universe as the other contenders, rating 106th or worse in every major uh, defensive advanced statistical category. So that leaves us and Notre Dame. And from a statistical standpoint, Notre Dame was actually better than us defensively last year. And of the five college football playoff contenders, they were clearly third in that group. Now you can argue and say that their schedule wasn't as good. You can honestly say that. You can say their schedule was a joke. Uh, I get all that. Uh, but the fact is, that was a really good Notre Dame defense last year. It really was. So honestly, even though their schedule was a joke, it was. And I won't argue that point. Their schedule was an absolute joke. I think if the committee's goal was to select the four best teams, which is what they always say, right? They always say, we want to pick the four best teams. A little spokesman, um, the, the chairman of the committee each year goes out there and always does his little interviews. And they're always saying, we're trying to select the four best teams. So if that's what you're trying to do, I think you can look at the offensive and defensive numbers there and say that Notre Dame deserved to be in the college playoff over Oklahoma. Now, I think we did too. I really, I believe that we deserved to be in last year, but that's a whole different conversation. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. That's in the past, whatever. Uh, they were not, look, Notre Dame was not as good as Oklahoma offensively. And they were clearly the fifth best offense out of the top five contenders last year for the college playoff. But the gap between Notre Dame and the four other offenses uh, was nothing compared to the gap between Oklahoma's defense and the defense of the other four contenders for the college playoff last year. 
So yeah, I, I think they probably deserve to be in. And I'll, I'll take it a step further here and we'll look at some uh, differentials. So that's something, if you guys have been listening to the show for a while, you know I like to do this. I think this is a really good indicator of, of how good, how dominant your team really is. Um, and I look at the total yardage differential, uh, yards per play differential, point differential, and points per game differential. And if you're not familiar with how that works, it's, it's really simple. For total, jar, for total yards differential, I take the number of yards their offense gained and uh, I subtract the total number of yards their defense gave up from that number. And that yields their total yards differential and I do the same thing for yards per play for total points and then points per game it's pretty simple just take some time go in there and actually crunch those numbers so you can't really find that stuff anywhere you gotta kind of these are the numbers you gotta go crunch by yourself so I double and triple check these to make sure that I, I don't mess up some along the way because math is certainly not uh never really been my specialty but I'm fairly certain I did the math well here because I got a calculator to work with so if you look at the total yards differential Clemson last year was plus 3,620 yards. Alabama was plus 3,007 yards. That means Alabama outgained their opponents by a total of 3,007 yards. Clemson outgained their opponents by a total of 3,620 yards. We were uh, we were really good. Uh, we weren't quite that good, though. Uh, we were plus 2,108 total yards last year. OU was plus 1,641, and then Notre Dame pulled up last place in this category, again, of the five contenders, with a plus 1,205 total yards differential. Now, take it over to the yards per play differential. Uh, Yards per play, Clemson was plus 3.16, which is just freaking crazy. That's just astronomical. That's insane. Pure insanity there. Uh, Alabama was plus 2.87, also really, really, really good. And we weren't too far off Alabama last year. We were plus 2.11 yards per play last year in our in our uh, yards per play differential, which means on average in each game we play, we gained 2.11 yards per play more than our opponents, which is that's off the charts. It's really good. Not as good as Clemson, but really, really good. It's hard to believe that Clemson was a full point better than us in yards per play differential. I mean, that's just 3.16. That's that's just crazy stuff. Um, Oklahoma is also really good. They were a little bit better than us at 2.47 yards per play in their in their differential there. Notre Dame, not really close to the rest of the group there. They were, uh, they were in the positive there, but they were uh, only plus 1.28 yards per play in their differential. Uh, so Notre Dame, again, was the uh, lowest of the five teams that were really in strong contention for the college playoff. Now let's move over to point differential, total point differential, which is really simple. You just take the total points the team scored, and then you subtract the total points they surrendered from that, and that yields your total point differential. So Clemson, again, was at the top with uh, plus 467 points on the year. Alabama was right behind them at plus 413. We then came in third at plus 261 points in the year. Oklahoma was plus 211. And then again, coming in in last place in this category would be Notre Dame at plus 171. So really good for Notre Dame, but not quite at the level of the four other contenders for the college football playoff, even though they did get in. Then finally, if you look at points per game differential, so this is basically how many points on average did you outscore your opponents by? Clemson was plus 31.2 per game last year, which means they outscored their opponents. By an average of 31.2 points last year. That's just, again, insane. That's crazy. Now, they, granted, they did play in a terrible ACC last year. I mean, a freaking terrible ACC. So they probably should, as good as they were, as much talent as they have, they probably should have outscored their opponents by 31 points a game. That's still, regardless, really, really difficult to do. Alabama was not too far behind. They were a plus 26.5 last year, so they outscored their opponents by an average of almost, almost four touchdowns. Uh, us, on the other hand, we were, uh, again, third here behind Clemson, Alabama. We outscored our opponents 
by 18.7 points per game last year. So we were point, we were plus 18.7. So we almost outscored our opponents by three touchdowns a game. Not quite there, but close. Uh, Oklahoma is then uh, right behind us. They were plus 15.1 points last year. So they outscored their opponents by an average of about two touchdowns a game. And then the Notre Dame, again, really, really good, but not quite at the same level of the other four contenders. They were plus 13.2 points per game in their points per game differential last year. So again, this uh, these, these four categories here, the differentials, they clearly show you that Clemson, Alabama separated themselves from everyone else last year. It really was Clemson, Alabama, and then basically everyone else. Uh, I, I still would contend that we were close enough to them uh, in terms of talent and, and how good we were last year to where if we like if we played our A game and we call either of those teams playing slightly down, we could beat them. We saw the SEC title game. We had Alabama beat them. By all objective measures, if you look at the numbers, at least statistically, Alabama was a better football team than us last year. But again, we were good enough. We were close enough to them where if they didn't play their best, that we could beat them. And we saw that for three, three and a half quarters in that game. And then they kind of turned it on and we uh, kind of just uh, took our foot off the gas, whatever it was that happened in that game. And they came back and, and snuck that one out. But, uh, you know, we, we were still, we were right there. And we're good enough to beat either Clemson or Alabama if we played really, really well. Like we, like we, again, like we did for three quarters in the SEC title game. And they might not have played as well as uh, as they could have. Um, and then now taking all these numbers into account, it really was a toss-up between Notre Dame and, and Oklahoma. And yeah, in the, in the yards differentials, Oklahoma was a little bit better than uh, Notre Dame in each of those categories. Um, and Oklahoma had the much better offense. Clearly, I mean, they had the best offense in the country from a statistical standpoint last year. They were much better. But Oklahoma, but Notre Dame had the much better defense. And it wasn't even close. Notre Dame's defense was sig- like not even the same planet with Oklahoma's defense last year. So, and again, if you so if you look at those, Oklahoma with a better offense, Notre Dame with a better defense, a much better defense, if you look at those differential numbers, I, I would probably still give Oklahoma the slight edge because they at least had one truly elite unit with that offense. And while Notre Dame was really good, like really, really good defensively, I don't think they were quite elite. And while they were a top 25 offense, I don't think that they were an elite offense. Um, so yeah, they were they were really good on both sides of the ball, but man, Oklahoma at least had that one truly elite unit. And yeah, Oklahoma's defense was a freaking train wreck and a disaster. But um, but again, if you look at the yardage differentials, point differentials, Oklahoma was a little bit better there. So I kind of yield to that. Um, so I would I would probably give the slight edge to Oklahoma. Uh, but regardless, Notre Dame was clearly good enough to justifiably be considered one of the top four teams. Like, you could totally make the argument they should have been in, and, and they were. We know they were the number three team in the playoffs last year. And, like, it, it, to me, honestly, if you look at these numbers, like, it kind of just, you're you're basing off your preference here. The, the numbers of Oklahoma and Notre Dame were so close uh, that you can absolutely make a legitimate argument they deserve to be in there. They just, in my opinion, weren't good enough to beat Clemson or Bama unless one of those teams just did not show up at all. Uh, they were not on Bama's level or Clemson's level or really even, like, quite frankly, I don't think they were really on our level. Um, they were closer to us than they were Bama or Clemson, but I, I think that we were a, clearly a better football team than they were last year. Um, but they were very, very good last year, and I, I know a lot of you probably don't think they deserve to be in, and by the, with, by virtue of their performance as Clemson, uh, that certainly added more fire to that argument. But if you look at what they did throughout the totality of the season, yes, their schedule sucked. It was a, a ridiculously easy schedule. Uh, we'll go over that a little bit here later on. But, I mean, statistically, like they were right there. And while I know a lot of you probably don't think they deserve to be in last year, I get that. 
I also would say I don't think it's like crazy for someone to say, yeah, you know what, Notre Dame deserved to be in the playoff last year. I mean, reasonable minds can disagree there, but I don't think like anyone's going out on this major limit to say, yeah, Notre Dame should have been in the college football playoff last year. They were right there uh, with the number three and four teams that actually ended up getting in. So that's the baseline. They were deserving a college football playoff berth, and you at least make that argument that, that they were deserving of that. But again, not good enough to beat the elite teams when they got there. But that was last year. We team even beat under players that helped them. I was top 25 two defense per rush at 4.43. So really not great from an efficiency standpoint. They were 72nd rushing, uh, or 72nd nationally in rushing S&P Plus, which is an advanced statistical measure of their ability to run the football. Uh, and they were 55th nationally in rush offense efficiency. So they were kind of middle of the packer in the football. Now, part of that had to do with the fact that for the first four games of the year, their best running back was not able to play. He was suspended. We'll get to him in a minute here. Uh, but they, they weren't a dominant rushing offense last year. They actually were better at throwing the football. Uh, they were 37th nationally in passing offense at 257 yards per game through the air. They were 31st nationally in yards per pass at right at 8 yards per pass. And they were 23rd nationally in passing SN plus, S&P plus offense. Uh, they weren't a particularly explosive offense. They were 37th nationally in explosiveness. So and they could they could put up some numbers and certainly could put up some explosive plays, but they weren't doing it as regularly as some of the other top teams in the country last year. And really things turned around for them last season offensively when Coach Brian Kelly made the move to bench quarterback Brandon Wimbush embattled quarterback Brandon Wimbush in favor of Ian Book, who actually had some experience from 2017. He actually got a couple starts in 2017. I believe he actually started the bowl game to end the 2017 season. But Wimbush uh, won the job again last uh, last season in the preseason and was a guy coming into the season. But, man, through the first couple of games, he was, um, he was kind of a disaster. He was only completing 55% of his passes, for 163 yards per game, had one touchdown in f- to four picks through the first three games of the year, and he was replaced after a very near loss to Vanderbilt at home last season. I mean, guys, I don't know if some of you watched the game. This is one of the games I, I went back and broke down to prepare for this one. Kind of killed two birds with one stone with Vandy and Notre Dame there, uh, with my, which were the first two teams in the summer scout in the enemy series this season. Uh, and Vandy had, I don't say Vandy had them beat. Vandy had a legit chance to beat them. Vandy was driving late. I think the score was 22, 17, something like that. in the last drive of the game, Vandy was driving on the field, had a chance to score a touchdown, win the game, uh, had a, had a pass on just go through receivers hand, a play he should have made up. I think it was Kalaja Lipscomb actually. Um, he should have made the play. And if they would have made the play, it would have moved the chains and they would have been man in very good position to win that football game. But I uh, couldn't quite make the play, and so Notre Dame escaped that game with a 22-17 victory over a very, very pedestrian Vanderbilt football team. We, we all know what Vandy was last year. They were 6-6 six and six and got in a bowl game and got blown out there and, and ended up 6-7 and seven on the year. But after that game, uh, i got to give Brian Kelly credit. He did not wait around. He said, all right, we got to make a move. We won that game, but we can't let this cost us a game. So he makes the move to Ian Book, who, again, did have some starting experience prior to the 2018 season. Um, and then really there was no looking back after they went to book. He started nine games on the year. He, uh, there was one game where the season against Florida state that he did, that he was hurt and did not start in Wimbush played in that game. Actually played pretty well in that game, but get Florida state was a disaster by that point in the year. Uh, and book played really well, man. Um, completed 68% of his passes for 2,628 yards and nine starts, 19 touchdowns to seven picks, 8.4 yards per pass. 
Um, he also had at least two touchdowns. Uh, he, he threw for at least two touchdowns in each of his regular season starts. Now, it didn't work out so well against Clemson in the semifinals, but in the regular season against the subpar schedule he was facing, uh, he threw at least two touchdowns in each of those regular season games. Now, Book, like, Book is not an overly gifted guy from a physical standpoint. He doesn't have like his killer arm. He doesn't have like, a Jacob Eason-type arm. Um, he's not like the most athletic guy in the world, but he, he can move a little bit. Uh, he, but he does make good decisions with the football and he was very accurate with the football, which is exactly what Brandon Wimbush was not. That was the issue with him. Wimbush was just so inaccurate as a passer, made some very poor decisions and their offense was really hamstrung by him being the quarterback. Now he can run the football very well, but Book was just better from a decision-making standpoint and from an accuracy standpoint. And like while Book was not as much of a threat with his legs as Wimbush was, he was still enough of a threat to allow them to run what they wanted to offensively. I mean, they would still do some design run stuff now against elite defenses with elite athletes on defense. It didn't always work out so well, but he's a guy that can, you know, he can run some design run stuff, run some quarterback draws. He can scramble a little bit, make some things happen with his legs, pick up a first down here and there on a scramble. He can do that kind of stuff but wasn't as much of a threat as Wimbush was. So uh, on the year, Book ended up with 280 uh, yards rushing uh, at 2.9 yards a carry. So at least on a threat, you have to pay attention, but not a guy that's going to carry your offense with his legs, which is kind of what Wimbush was doing. That was kind of his MO. But Wimbush just couldn't do the football, and that's why he ended up transferring. He's now trying to win the battle there at UCF this year. We'll see how that goes for him. But Book certainly helped this team. This offense clearly helped turn things around. But it wasn't just Book that helped turn things around for the Notre Dame offense. Running back Dexter Williams, who I mentioned a second ago, he missed the first four games due to suspension. But once he entered the starting lineup, he was an absolute difference maker. Uh, when he got back from suspension, things just changed for them offensively. And it kind of coincided fairly close to when Book took over as the starting quarterback. So in nine games, Dexter Williams rushed for 1,000 yards, 6.3 yards per carry. Now, and he was the guy. He was the guy for them running back. They didn't have like a two-headed, three-headed monster like we've had in, the, in years past, like Nick and Sony. Didn't have that. Uh, the next closest guy to uh, Williams was Jones Jr., uh, Tony Jones Jr., with 392 yards rushing last year. And then Jafar Armstrong at 383 yards rushing at 5.3 yards per carry. Uh, and man, I know Williams is not going to be on the team this year. He's gone. He went pro. But man, he was explosive and he was powerful. Um, it, so he's but he's gone. He is gone, which is good for us because he's uh, he was really really good for them. Um, so it's now likely going to be Jones Jr. and Jafar Armstrong splitting carries. If I had to predict right now, I would probably identify Jafar Armstrong as the one that is most likely to end the season as the starter. I think most of what I've been able to find out through the off season. Uh, reading stuff, watching stuff, um, just doing some research. It seems like he's the guy that they're kind of counting on to be the number one back this year. But I think it's going to be much more of a of a, a duo type situation than what it was last year, where Dexter Williams was like clearly the guy for them. I think it's going to be more like a Sony and Nick situation. Not saying they're as good as them, but getting close to an equal number of carries, at least early on the season before maybe one of them kind of separates themselves. Uh, so those guys are good. Uh, Jafar Armstrong is a good, solid player. He's a guy that actually split time at running back and receiver last year. Um, and he's a good, like he's a good athlete, but he's not Dexter Williams and Tony Jones Jr. is not Dexter Williams either. 
Uh, but they do return four stars in the offensive line, so that does help with the running game when you have some veterans coming back on the offensive line like that, a lot of cohesiveness there, some continuity. At wide receiver, they do lose their top receiving option from last year, Miles Boykin, and his 872 yards and eight touchdowns from last year, averaged 14.8 yards per catch. He was clearly their uh, most consistent option and also their best big play option last year. But after Boykin, they do return two of their uh, top three receivers from last year's squad, led by Chase Claypool, had 639 yards receiving last year, four touchdowns. He's very similar in, uh, in his profile to Boykin. Tall guy, six foot four, just like Boykin was. I think he's going to fill that role uh, very well for them. I don't know if they're going to miss all that much with Claypool taking over Boykin. Chris Fingy is a guy... Um, that had 571 yards receiving, two touchdowns out of the slot. He's a five foot ten former walk-on. Uh, he is the type of player that has become all the rage in, in the NFL, whether it's Julian Edelman, Tyreek Hill, Tyler Boyd, D.D. Westbrook, and Mee Coles can get his chance now with the Chiefs. He's that smaller, shiftier wide receiver that gets open all day long and helps move the chains, running those option routes on safeties and linebackers. The thing was, like, Wimbush with his accuracy issues, was having a lot of trouble hitting those routes consistently. But that's where Book excelled. He really excelled in those short to intermediate routes, getting the ball in the hands of his playmakers and allowing them to do things in space. Now, it also really gave them a push when Dexter Williams came back from suspension because defenses wanted to slow down their run game with heavy purse dogs. I mean, Williams was really good, guys. Uh, and I mean, and if you look at that offense, I think he was the guy, if you're a defense coordinator, you want to try to take away what they do best. I think Williams was probably their best player offensively last year. I really believe that. Um, and so defense came into the game one to, in my opinion, slow him down. And to do that, they needed to have some heavy personnel. But when they went with the heavy personnel to slow down the run game, they often had to try to cover Finky with slower linebackers and safeties, and he was making them pay all day long with that. Um, they also lose Alizé Mack at tight end. Um, was a, and this is a guy that was a really high-profile recruit, was in and out of the lineup with some suspensions, injuries at times. Um but he never quite lived up to the hype, but he was still a good player for them. He had 36 catches last year for 360 yards. Good, not really to the level of his high school profile, I guess, but it was still a solid player for them. They do lose him. Cole Komet is the guy that's going to be their starter this year. He's a solid option at tight end, but he, from what I saw from him last year, and he had 10 catches last year for a little over 100 yards, he's just not the type of guy that I think is going to strike fear in the hearts of opposing defense coordinators. I don't think he's quite the athlete that Alizé Mack was, so I don't really see him as much. I mean, I don't want to say he's not a threat, but I don't see him being as much of a threat as even, as even Mac was last year at the tight end position. I will say Cole Komet is a better blocker, which might help them more in the running game, but I don't see him as much of a, a, a receiving threat as Alizé Mack was last year. So this was a top 25 offense last year that put up big numbers against the subpar defenses on their schedule, but they struggled tremendously when they played elite defenses. And honestly, I think that's about where this Notre Dame offense is going to be again this year. If you go back again to last year to kind of illustrate how poor the schedule was that they played last year, they played against two top 10 defenses last year based on yards per play, which is why I look at more than total yards. Because um, you can play a bunch of teams that just run a bunch of plays and rack up a, a bunch of total yards, but that doesn't mean they're being efficient. So I go I go by yards per play. To me, that's a more accurate indication of how good your defense, how good your offense is. So they played two top 10 defenses last year in yards per play. They played number eight, Michigan, and managed 300, 302 total yards and 4.4 yards per play at home. Now, they happened to win that game. Um, really got lucky there because, uh, man, 
Michigan was just so stubborn offensively in what they were trying to do. They, they did this all year long, trying to – it's a square peg round hole. They're trying to fit a guy like Shea Patterson as a spread quarterback into this pro-style offense, which is just completely wasting his abilities. And that was the first game with Shea Patterson at quarterback. And I watched that entire game from start to finish. And uh, I still I – mean, Michigan was the better team. I really believe that. But they didn't win the game, so that's all that matters. But Notre Dame could not do much against that, that Michigan defense. They really couldn't. Then against Clemson – who was number two nationally in yards per play allowed. They only uh, were able to manage 248 total yards in that game and only 3.6 yards per play. They only scored three points in that game. So against the two best teams they faced, and of course, most teams against the two best teams they they faced are going to have lesser numbers. We know that. But, I'm, I mean, there was a big drop-off from where they were against the other 11 defenses they faced and where they were against the truly elite defenses they faced. Against those elite defenses, Michigan and Clemson, they just couldn't move the football. They just could not move the football. Now, the 11 other defense they faced finished, on average, 78th nationally in yards per play allowed. Other than Michigan and Clemson, they only played two other opponents who finished inside the top 50 in yards per play allowed. FSU was number 37, and, and Southern Cal was 47th. And they played three teams that were in the 100s in yards per play allowed. So, yeah, I know they were top 25 nationally, but you also, I think you really have to factor in the level of competition. They just were they were not playing many defenses with a pulse. They just weren't. They really weren't. Played two really good defenses and really showed them with the football at all, especially in that Clemson game. And they were just, I mean, completely outmatched. They just completely outmatched from an athletic standpoint, from a talent standpoint. Just wasn't even close. They had no chance in that game to move the football. Um, so if they go, go, go up against defenses like that this year, I don't see them faring much better. I really don't. Now against the the Ball States of the world, the Virginia Techs of the world, who were really down last year. Now, Virginia Tech's probably going to be a little bit better this year. But if you look at the rest of that schedule, with like New Mexico on the schedule, those kind of teams, Louisville even, like they're going to move the ball just fine. And they're going to score a lot of points. And they're going to put up a lot of numbers. But against Michigan on the road, against us in Athens, I think they're going to struggle to move the football a lot like they did last year against the better defenses on their schedule. So, I mean, losing Dexter Williams and Miles Boykin, that's tough for them. Those are two Those are two really good players. And they're the best receiver and the best running back last year. But they do have eight stars returning, including, most importantly, their quarterback and four out of five offensive linemen off of what was, regardless of what you think about their schedule, which I just laid out, was still a good unit last year, a very good unit last year. Now, Ian Book is not an elite quarterback. I would certainly not put him in that category. He's not elite, but he is accurate, and he is efficient, and he is now in his senior season and knows how to run chip long system. He's a guy that they can trust back there, and that's a big part of being a good offensive team is being able to have a guy back there that you trust, they can get the ball out, is accurate, can make plays happen. And that's what Book can do for them. Uh, I do think Chase Claypool can replace Boykin's production. I think Finky is their own version of Hunter Renfro from Clemson from the past couple of years. He's a guy who just gets open with the free release out of the slot and can just give you headaches all night long, all day long, out of the slot there, just picking up first down after first down, helping move the chains. So yeah, I... Like, I expect this Notre Dame offense to be a very good, efficient unit again. Just not a particularly explosive unit. I don't see that. I don't see the explosive playmakers out there. I mean, they have some guys that can make some plays, but I don't see them being an overly explosive team. But they're going to be efficient, and they're going to be productive. Yes, I, again, they're gonna, I think they're going to put up big numbers in the lesser defenses on their schedule, but will likely be overmatched against elite defenses. Now, well, the question here for us when we're looking at our matchup with Notre Dame is, will our defense return to elite status after somewhat of a down year by Kirby Smart standards? Will our defense get back to that point? Now, that remains to be seen, but I do believe that we have the speed. 
We have the athleticism, and now we have the experience. A lot of guys that were getting some serious playing time last year were not overly experienced, but now we have some experience those guys with guys like, I don't know, Adam Anderson, Britton Cox, uh, Channing Tindall, Quay Walker, some of these guys, Richard LeCount even. Uh, you can throw in, of course, the, the cornerbacks. You can throw in Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes. We have a lot more experience than what we did last year. And I do think we have the ability to give this Notre Dame offense some fits. I think N'Kobe Dean, I know he's a true freshman, but I've talked about him before. I think he's a guy that if he's not starting week one, it, it, I really have a tough time believing he's not going to be either starting or playing the majority of the snaps at inside linebacker by week four. I, I really believe that. And I think he could be a major difference maker in this game with his ability to both play the run effectively and cover effectively, cover out in space, cover a guy like, I don't know, Chris Finke in space. That's something that a lot of teams don't have. Like, you know, I talk about some of the teams last year where they're trying to, to defend Notre Dame is they would try to go heavy to stop Dexter Williams in the running game. But when you do that, you give up something against the pass. You're not as effective in space against a guy like Chris Finke who goes out there, runs option routes, just can't defend him. Um, but if you have a guy like N'Kobe Dean out there that can play in the, in the box against the run but can also go out there and cover in space, man, like that's something that's going to be really hard for Notre Dame to handle. I really think he can be a difference maker in that game. Now, he's got a earn the job I get that but we saw him play a lot with the first team unit in the spring game which I guess the spring game but I really am high on, on Dean I think there's just an opportunity for him to really kind of take hold of the job there coming into the 2019 season and I also think that we're going to create more havoc this year which is what Clemson did to them last year I finished up watching the Clemson game last night uh, I guess the the semifinal game the Cotton Bowl with Clemson and Notre Dame and that's what Clemson did to them man like they just they absolutely wreaked havoc in the backfield, whether it's in the run game, whether it's in the pass rush. I mean, they were in the backfield seemingly every other play. It was just crazy. Uh, and the thing is, like, Notre Dame, like, they, their offensive line is good, and they have some big dudes there, some guys that have experience, but they're bigger, slower offensive line. They don't really have the athleticism in that offensive line to hold up against elite edge rushers, and Clemson totally exposed that. Now, last year, we couldn't. We really were not equipped to really expose that. Like I think we're going to be able to this year. I know we have a lot of guys that haven't done it yet. Guys like Nolan Smith and Jermaine Johnson. I get it, but we have recruited so well at that position, uh, the pass rushing positions, and I think we are going to make every effort to create more havoc. I mean, I, I don't think it's just lip service for Kirby. I think he really means he's trying to create more havoc, and I think we have the playmakers to actually do it this year. And I don't think their offensive line is going to match up that well with our ability to kind of create some of that havoc off the edge with those pastors that we have brought in over the past couple of years. Um, and, and the thing is, I just I don't think that they have the players to consistently go up and down the field on us. But of course, big plays are the equalizer in that regard. But with us having two veterans at the safety position, particularly J.R. Reed, and with Tyson Campbell and Eric Stokes now with a year of experience under their belt, I really feel confident saying that we can limit their big play opportunities. And if we do that, again, I just don't see how they're going to go up and down the field enough to beat us on September 21st. I mean, anything's possible. I mean, they're, they're good enough to do it if we don't come out and play. But I, I, I really like the match of our defense against this Notre Dame offense. Although I do think they're going to be a pretty good offense again this year. But um, all right, let's flip it over to the defense side of the ball here for a few minutes. And as I said, offensively, they were good, but not elite. Defensively, though, they were much closer to being an elite unit. Not quite there, but certainly top 15 caliber and very very, very good. Here's a couple more numbers to throw at you from a defensive standpoint. They were 13th nationally in scoring defense, giving up 18.2 yards or 18.2 points per game. They were 30th in total defense, giving up 347 yards a game, 14th in yards per play, only giving up 4.72 yards per play last year. They were 36th in rush defense, giving up 139 yards a game, 44th in pass D, giving up 208 yards per game. 
They only gave up uh, 5.6 yards per pass attempt last year, which is good for number two nationally. So didn't, did not give a bunch of big plays at all. Actually, I think they gave up like I think coming into the Sugar Bowl, I think it was they gave up two pl- or not Sugar Bowl. The coming into the Cotton Bowl, I believe they given up two plays. Uh, two passing plays of 20-plus yards on the year coming in that game. I think Clemson put up like three or four, if not more, in that game. I had the number written down somewhere, but I don't have it with me right here. But they were very good in that regard. And I know we don't like to give anyone outside the SEC credit for being good defensively, and no one wants to give Notre Dame credit for really anything. But objectively, the Irish, they were very good defensively last year. They were. But that was last year. It gives us that baseline from which to base our projections on for this year. But 2019 is a new year, and this is going to be a new unit entering year number two under Demons coordinator Clark Lee. And I have a hard time believing that they are going to be as good as they were last year on that side of the ball. They do have six returning starters defensively, but it's not so much what they have returning, it's what they lost last year. As far as I'm concerned, based on my personal breakdown of their tape, I think they're losing four out of their top five defensive players from last year and lost the best player at each of the three levels of their defense. And they lost their best defensive lineman in Jerry Tillery. I think they lost their best linebacker in uh, Tavon Coney, or you can even say Drew Tranquil there. I think they lost their best player in the secondary in cornerback Julian Love. So there's a lot of big-time production they're going to have to replace this year. So Jerry Tillery is, I think, their best interior defensive lineman. He was the sack leader last year with eight sacks on the year. Julian Love, a cornerback, was directed by the Giants. Uh, he broke the school record for passes defended. Drew Tranquil uh, was a veteran for them who filled that new age role of kind of a slot defender, kind of what, what I could call a space backer or a box safety. Kind of has that versatility where he's uh, can play as a safety, can play out in space like that, but can also play inside the box as well. And I, I really believe that Tranquil was the very heart of that defense. He's the guy. They're, they're going to miss all, all these guys that I'm going over here, but I think Tranquil's the guy they're going to miss the most here. That doesn't mean he was the most talented player on that defense last year. I just think he was the most valuable player for them because his versatility really freed up rookie defense coordinator Clark Lee to do a lot of things from a schematic standpoint with his ability to play, like I said, effectively both in the box and out in space. That really gave them the flexibility and those guys are so, so valuable in today's game against modern offenses. And honestly, they're just very rare. It's hard to find guys that can line up and play in the box as a linebacker, which Tranquil did at times last year, a lot of times last year, but also go out there and play in space and cover a slot receiver. There's very few guys that can really do both those effectively and do them both at a very high level, and Tranquil could do that. And I'm just not sure they have someone that can replicate what he gave them last year. And So to me, I think he is the biggest loss off of that team. So I think it's going to really impact what they're able to do defensively from a schematic standpoint. And they also, as I mentioned, uh, lost to Von Coney, who's another inside linebacker who was their leading tackler on the year. So there's what, what I think are four of their five best players last year. Now, so that's what they lost, but they do return a highly talented and disruptive group of pass rushers. And if you're going to be good anywhere on defense, I think that's a good start. It's a good place to start from because I think most of you out there would agree that quarterback is the most important position on the field. And so you, what you want to do first and foremost as a defense is make the quarterback's life difficult, slow him down. And how do you slow down elite quarterbacks? Well, you harass them by creating havoc. And Notre Dame will be very good at that this year. Uh, led by Julian Aquara, who was, uh, so I said, they're losing four of the five best players last year. Aquara is the other guy I think that was in that group that's coming back this year. Uh, he's a pass rushing specialist, had 21 hurry quarterback hurries on the year, eight sacks, so he's tied for the lead with Jerry Tillery. 
uh, had 12 and a half tackles for loss. I thought he might leave early, kind of hoping he was going to leave early, but he decided to come back for his senior season. So he's going to be someone that we're going to have to deal with. He's 6'5", 240 pounds, more of a true like 4-3 defensive end. And I'll obviously get into this more the week of the game in our official game preview here in a couple of months. But what I would do just very early on here in June as I'm previewing this matchup, I would run the ball right at him over and over and over again. Our huge offensive line, our huge and powerful offensive line should be able to move him fairly easily. I mean, a guy is 6'5", 240. We should be able to win that battle in the run game fairly consistently. And uh, the thing is, like, not only will that allow us to be able to run the football well, but it's all going to wear him down and hopefully reduce his effectiveness as a pass rusher, which is really where he excels. But he's a really good player, and we're going to have to account for him on every single play offensively. There's no doubt about it. Now, it's not just him either. That's the thing. You can't just zero in on him. He's got a couple of running mates there. Khalid Kareem is going to be the guy that's going to start opposite him on the other side. Uh, he had 10.5 tackles for loss last year, 4.5 sacks. He's a little bit bigger. He's more stout against the run at 6'4", 262. And then the other guy is Dalen Hayes, who's not quite as disruptive as Aquara or Kareem. But he's a good pass rusher in his own right. Uh, he didn't get as much playing time last year. He had five tackles for loss and two sacks. But he's a guy that uh, coming in last year that actually made a lot of plays for them. He's another guy like Kareem. He's a little bit bigger, a little more style against the run. So he might see a lot of playing time against us, actually. 6'4", 268. Uh, but those three guys right there give them a trio of guys that can really, really create some having in the backfield and can get after the passer. So our offensive line is going to certainly have to come to play uh, in pass protection. We're going to need to stay ahead of the chains, all that kind of stuff, stay out of those third and long situations. But we'll get into that a lot more, obviously, once we get closer to this game. Uh, now, in the secondary, they returned two stars at safety in Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman. Gilman's the guy that's interesting. He's a transfer from Navy who was very good for them against the run last year. Like, he's a really strong run supporter. But, man, he is a liability in man coverage. In zone, two for that matter. But just more so, man, he's not particularly good in zone coverage as well. Uh, during the tape study, uh, when I went back and was looking at this, I kind of multiple instances of him getting caught flat-footed in, in zone coverage and just getting beat. And then in man coverage, I mean, yeah, it, was an, it was an adventure for him, to say the least. I mean, Clemson absolutely abused him in the Cotton Bowl. Now, Clemson does have a truly a league group of receivers with Justin Ross and T. Higgins, all that. But, man, like, they made him look silly. Like, I'm just talking flat-out abuse him. Sometimes, sometimes, like, he wasn't even covering him out there. So, uh, yeah, he's really good at run support. Uh, and he's going to certainly try to get downhill in a hurry against us, especially with our reputation of trying to run the football. But he is a liability in coverage, and I think we need to try to exploit that early and often uh, in the 2019 season. And then at cornerback, uh, Troy Pride Jr. is the one returning cornerback they have after losing star Julian Love uh, last year. Uh, and and Pride, like he's played a lot of football for them. He's a veteran for them. He saw a lot of action last year. By action, I mean like teams were throwing at him a lot because they were trying to avoid Julian Love. So he did get overshadowed by Love to a degree. But I actually think he's a pretty good player. He might not be an elite cornerback, but he's very, very solid and has a ton of experience back there for them. He's going to be a guy that can certainly go out there and make some plays for them in the defensive secondary. So uh, defensively, they were really good last year. They were actually better than they were offensively. But, man, they're losing so much defensively. They do have some good players returning. I mean, Julian Quara is the real deal. He's a really good pass rusher. Gilman is a good, solid run supporter from the safety position. Uh Troy Pride Jr. is a good cornerback, but man, it, again, you, when you lose four out of your five best players defensively, that's tough for anybody. I mean, we experienced that last year. That's tough. That's very, very tough when you lose think about all the guys that we lost in the 2017 team. You know, of course, you lose uh, John John Atkins, you lose Roquan, Lorenzo, Devin Bellamy. 
you lose all those guys, and then what happens last year? Like we were good defensively, like, we weren't bad, but we were not near as good as we were in 2017. I think I could see something similar with Notre Dame this year, uh, and then on special teams. I'll just spend a quick second here on special teams, because right? this is something that we often just kind of gloss over, but it's, it can win and lose football games. The special teams, they lose a four-year starter at place kicker in Justin Yoon, who left Notre Dame as their all-time leading scorer, which, man, like that's that's saying something for a program as storied as the Notre Dame program. So um, that's going to be a big loss for them. You have to believe it is. Whoever's going to replace him uh, this year is likely not going to be as good as he was. So that's something when you think about what we have in Rodrigo Blankenship there, that could, I know they don't go head-to-head, but like when you have the better kicker, you feel pretty good there. Um, they also lose their punter in Tyler Newsom. So they lose their, their kicker and their punter, uh, which is tough. That's tough to replace in one year at the same time. And then uh, in the return game, Chris Fingy's a good punt, punt return. He averaged just a hair under 10 yards per punt return last year. Uh, not maybe a, a, an explosive game breaker, but he's a good shifty guy out there in space. and can certainly make things happen if we don't get out there and cover the punts as well as we need to. But I do think we're going to have an advantage in special teams. Again, we'll get into that a lot more as we get closer and closer to this game. But I did want to at least mention it here today on this show. So ultimately, when you look at what Notre Dame has returning coming off of a college ball playoff appearance last year, like they absolutely should be a top 10 to 15 team, especially with that schedule. I'm talking about the end of the year. They're definitely going to be top 10 in the preseason. But by the end of the year, I think they should finish somewhere in the top 10 to 15, particularly with that schedule. It's just, it's for me, like with that schedule, it's hard to see more than three losses for them. I just, I have a hard time finding more than three losses. Yeah, they had to play in Athens and they had to play in Ann Arbor against the, the Wolverines, which are, of course, both going to be tough. Probably going to be underdogs in both those games, but they could possibly win one of those games. Maybe, I mean, who, who knows? Maybe both. I don't want to think both, but they could possibly win, win one of those games. But the thing is, like, Outside of Athens and Michigan, or in, in, in Ann Arbor, their only other road games are at Louisville on Memorial Day night, at Duke, ooh, that's a tough one, and at Stanford, which could be tricky, but Stanford hasn't been as good lately, man. I, and I, I think Notre Dame is still better than them. So like, I, I had them as favorites in all those other road games, at Louisville, at Duke, at Stanford. And if I had to handicap Notre Dame this year, if I was the odds maker, I would put their over-under at 9.5 wins. That's the number I would look at. Because um, I, I don't know if I see them winning more than... Nah, I don't know. More than nine games is tough. Um, but I would probably go over more than I would go under that right now, honestly. Uh, but the thing is, I just even saying that, I don't see them as a national title contender or even a college playoff contender right now in 2019. I just don't see it. I expect them to be good. I really do. I expect them to be a good team. I don't think they're going to fall off the face of the earth or anything like that this year. I don't see that. They're going to be good. They have a veteran quarterback, some solid weapons, a receiver, an experienced O-line, which is always good. Have some playmakers rushing the passer. But... I just I go back to this. I just think they lost too many difference makers on both sides of the ball, particularly on defense, where they lost a bunch of guys that were just absolutely critical to their success last season. And I get it. I get it. This is college football. All teams lose players. I know that. But the thing is, like, Notre Dame, they recruit well enough, but they don't recruit at a level to where you'd expect it to be next man up for them without missing a beat. Like that, they don't recruit like that. They recruit well, but just not like that. They have finished, on average, according to the 247 composite, 13th nationally over the last four years, which, again, is good, but not national title good. They don't recruit like Bama where you lose Rashawn Evans at linebacker and then you replace him with Dylan Moses, or you lose Calvin Ridley at wide receiver and then you replace him with Jerry Judy and you don't miss a beat. Like They don't recruit like that. They don't replace them. Now, they may be able to replace one or two of those guys they missed, uh, with, with a comparable talent, but they're not going to be able to replace enough of them to be a playoff contender in 2019, in my opinion. 
But with their pass rushers, a solid veteran quarterback, they're going to be capable of beating us on September 21st if we don't bring our A game. They are not going to roll over. I don't expect that to happen. They are good enough to beat us if we play like we did at LSU last year or at Auburn two years ago. Now, we under Kirby, we played very well at home, uh, with the exception of uh, in his first year, the, the Vanderbilt game at home. That was, uh, I want to forget that one. But the last two years, at least, now that Kirby has taken us to another level, we have been very, very good at home. And, and those like brain fart games, uh, like LSU last year, Auburn uh, two years ago, you even say Texas in the Sugar Bowl, like those games where we just don't show up, we're just flat as could possibly be coming out of the, uh, out of the gate. Like, that hasn't been happening at home. Those have been happening either on the road in a true road environment or at a neutral site. We haven't had those games happen at home. Now, that's not to say it can't ever happen. I'm not going to say that, but as long as we come out and play our A game and play to our potential, we absolutely should beat this Notre Dame team. We are the better team. We're the more talented team. We have more experience at key positions. We should beat them as long as we don't just come out flat like we have in the past uh, at least once a year. Now, again, those games have been on the road. Hope we don't, start, we don't start a trend doing that at home, but we should beat them. But they're good enough to beat us if we don't come out and play as well as we are capable of playing. And and one final thing here before I get out of here, I know tickets are going for a premium right now, and if you have season tickets, especially more than two, it might be tempting to sell them. And while you are perfectly within your right to do so, I am pleading with you to please not do so if all possible. Uh, and look, I... I who am I to tell you what to do with your money? I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do. I just I want to try to encourage you, if I can at all, uh, to not sell your tickets if you have some, um, or if you really have to sell them. I get. I mean, look it's, again. It's your it's your stuff. It's your money. It's your tickets. You can do whatever you want. But please, I would just plead with you to make sure they end up with Georgia people, with Georgia folks. After our invasion of South Bend two years ago, you know they're going to want to try to return the favor, and they have a huge alumni base across the country that will try to make that happen. And again, I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do with your money. I would just respectfully request that you try, if you need to sell them, try to make sure they end up in the hands of some good dog-loving folks out there. That would be incredible because I want us to have a major home field advantage, and I just don't want anyone to come in here and talk about how they invaded Sanford Stadium. I just don't want to hear that. Like... They had to hear it from us uh, two years ago. But uh, anyway, guys, that does it for me here today on the Glory UJ podcast. I know it's been a while. It's been a couple weeks here, so I hope it was worth your wait, worth the while there. I really appreciate you guys being patient with me while I was out on vacation. Curtis will be back from his little vacation here for our next show, so be looking forward to that. And just one more quick friendly reminder to all of you who have not quite yet subscribed to our premium content on Podbean. If you enjoyed what you heard today in this breakdown of the Notre Dame game here coming up in a couple of months, go ahead and subscribe today for only $2 a month. You get access to all of these shows, all the Sky the Enemy series shows. We're going to be going down the entire schedule from top to bottom, previewing each and every one of our Power 5 opponents. We've already done Vanderbilt. That's already up there on our premium content. And uh, obviously here's this one was up for free with the Notre Dame game. And then uh, next week we'll have Tennessee, then South Carolina, then Kentucky, so on and so forth. So you want to check out all those, go ahead and subscribe today for only $2 a month. Get access to all of our premium content. For everyone who's already subscribed, we love you guys. You know that. Um, So I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.